Hey, welcome to the Ron Johnson Discipleship Podcast. We are absolutely thrilled you took the time to, t- to take a listen today and to, uh, to join us as we talk about some important matters. Our goal every week as we do these podcasts is to bring the Lordship of Jesus Christ to life and to show how relevant, how real, how, how powerful the gospel is to impacting our everyday lives. And we've been in a great series on, uh, on uh, counterfeit uh, modes of redemption. We're going to get back to that in just a moment. But uh, we've got a big week at Living Stones, and I thought maybe we should pause it. If you're a, a Living Stones family or you're in the neighborhood, maybe you could uh, take take part in some of these great events we've got coming. Well, first of all, yesterday we had an awesome day of decorating. We take Christmas very seriously at Living Stones Church, <laughs> particularly Christmas trees. Yeah, we, we mentioned Sunday. You know, I think we have 30-plus uh, 30, 30 trees. I don't know if it's increasing. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we don't worship Christmas trees. We worship Jesus. But boy, the the no. beautiful, you know, transformation of the building is amazing. And on that point, I, I, you know, I grew up in a very minimalistic family, and you know, typically I won't speak for all Asians, but many Asian families that I experience are very minimalistic in terms of deck decor and just like yeah. functionality. And what I learned growing up for myself, and I'm trying to do with my family, is that traditions and, and festivities and stuff actually builds the identity of your kids. It really helps um, help them find a sense of a tradition. Like I belong to someone, I'm part of something, you know? So we establish different traditions and we try to deck it out for our family during Christmas time more. So I appreciate that part about our church. I know it was a lot of work. We had so many people come out yesterday. And and I just want to say thank you because we had, you know, there's there's probably over a hundred people that come out throughout the day. Throughout the day, it was a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. But um, you're right, you know, when you walk, you know, the, the Christmas is an amazing time where we celebrate, of course, the birth of Jesus. Uh, and where would we be without without the incarnation, without Christ coming and and being born, and then going on to to die and be resurrected uh, and ascended to the Father's right hand? I mean, this is the beginning of the of the amazing story of our redemption. Yeah. And uh, when you drive up, you see the windows at Living Stones, the big glass windows, and inside our foyer, it's it just absolutely. Spectacular! Yeah. So we encourage you to come on out. In fact, this Friday, talk about we got yeah, our we have our Christmas market, uh, family market, I believe that's what we call it, and we have different vendors come out, fun things, you know. Uh, I talked the whole time in Chelsea. They're making macros. I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going there just to, <laughs> just, to, just to buy some macros. <laughs> Chelsea's macros are amazing. Uh, so. any, anything she makes is amazing. Yeah. Of course, she's a French pastry chef, yeah. and, uh, well, a trade chef. Yeah. Amazing. Whatever she touches so, is incredible. Yeah. yeah, that's the scoop I get as a pastor. Like, who's making what? All right, I'm going to get there first. <laughs> yeah. So you don't want to miss yeah. it. It's going to be amazing. Well, you don't want to miss it because we got the inside yeah. track and we know what amazing uh, Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I don't. I don't remember anything else. So <laughs> I'm sure there are some other things that's going to be there. <laughs> Pastor Susie knows more, but that's all I heard. So yeah. So uh, also, uh, as this is airing on Thursday morning, uh, of course, the Supreme Court hearings on a, a major uh, landmark abortion case uh, is happening right now as we speak. Please keep that in your prayers. Uh, this could be the uh, beginning of the unraveling of Roe v. Wade. Uh, is certainly something we need to be be praying for. So uh, spend some time on your knees and let's ask God for mercy and for justice to be done and uh, and just to see the scourge 
of abortion lifted off of our nation. Uh, so please be praying about that. We'll talk probably talk about that in upcoming podcasts. Now that decision won't come till June, correct? Right, right. This is just okay. the, 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 the oral the arguments, yeah. things like that. It takes them six months to make this type of decision. <laughs> oh, yeah. Supreme Court. Anyway, so let's get back. You know, we have been talking about, uh, and and let me just, a lot of you uh, have told me, hey, Pastor, let us know some good books you guys are reading. I I want to continue to do that. Uh, This book here is where our discussion is flowing from. Uh, It's a book by Chuck Colson and Nancy Piercy called How Now Shall We Live? I really believe it's one of the finest Christian worldview books uh, that's ever been written. And uh, and that's becoming kind of our, our skeleton as we talk about counterfeit forms of redemption mm-hmm. and um, in other words you have to have an answer everyone has to have an answer for how we got here why the world is so messed up and thirdly how do you fix it and, and that's basically talking about redemption and and, yeah. and bring us up to speed because we've talked about a number counterfeit of counterfeit redemption forms. through uh, materialism through money and buying right. things talk right. about uh, through statism, letting the government be our savior. That's right. a big thing right now. Yep. Uh, salvation through sex, yep. sexuality expression. It sounds so weird, but you, if you really think about them, that's exactly the message that's, that's oh, yeah. being uh, pushed on us right now. And these now. are all, you know, these are all counterfeit forms of redemption that are all finding expression today. You know, we're in, we're in Christmas season. Mega push that, you know, uh, if you want to be happy, buy this or get the perfect gift or you deserve it. All that kind of yeah. radical, uh, you know, consumeristic stuff. Redemption through progress. Talk about Marxism um, re- through through throwing off the, the, the oppressors. Find right. Redemption through that. Um, all these are just popular, popular uh, replacement for yeah. the true redemption. And this yeah. is what I love about the study of, of worldview. And I really encourage you uh, to dive in more because... <laughs> We're talking about things that are so relevant now, and yet these ideas have been around for centuries, for millennia. It really is, you know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And uh, it really is true because these counterfeit forms of redemption keep popping up all throughout history. And like you said, we could we could pinpoint all of these finding expression in our culture today mm-hmm. as we speak. That's how relevant the Bible is. That's how relevant Christian worldview is. So we're going to talk about... A counterfeit form of redemption today, which is uh, science. Uh, in fact, I was sharing with with Pastor Andrew before we came up here. Uh, uh, Dr. Fauci was on a national uh, interview in which he made this statement. He said, "I am science." You know, here's this uh, little gray-haired uh, man that we've seen for the last two years, who in his you know white lab coat, who has been the face of basically our scientific approach to how we handle this COVID uh, epidemic. And for him to make a statement that he is science, that's like you and I saying, I am humility or I am the embodiment of whatever virtue or whatever thing. I mean, it's, it's laughable if it were not so ridiculous. But the fact of the matter is, almost single-handedly, this man has been the face under the guise of science. He has been empowered uh, by the American populace, uh, who we love, you know, we love science. Uh, that whatever Dr. Fauci says, or whatever the National Institutes of Health say, that must be the gospel. That's the truth. That's the way, the truth, and the life uh, for us. Uh, and uh, and it's amazing to me that pretty much he has been the face of policy that has impacted the lives of you know uh, 330 plus million Americans, uh, and all under the guise of science. 
Yeah, and so, so allow me a moment to, to talk about that comment. Now, I, I, I didn't watch that interview. I, I don't know the context. Um, I stay away from mainstream media, like I stay away from many other things. Um, so I didn't watch that. But um, I'm guessing, again, I, I don't know the context. I'm guessing when he says this, it was, it was, it was a Philly himself, like in an authoritative way. Like what I'm, what I'm speaking, um, right. science I'm speaking, is speaking. Maybe that's the con- if that's not is not. I'm sorry, but if that's the context, man, that is messed up because, you know, uh, for many people who have never been in the research and development realm, uh, there might be this reverence for science. But for those of us who have delved into it now, I don't have a PhD or anything like that, but I've delved into. I have a master's degree. I've delved into research. I was in a PhD school, right? And I stopped halfway. I didn't fail. I just decided not to do it. Yeah, but but um, you're you're familiar with the scientific. I'm method, familiar with all that research development. S- uh, science is a tool. It's a tool. You know, it's a screwdriver. It's a it's a it's a powerful tool that yeah. can accomplish many things. Just like a screwdriver is a yeah. powerful tool, but it's a tool. It's a series of questions and discovery systems and process to achieve different things. It's a tool. It's it's constantly asking questions. Constantly, when you become di- uh, uh, draconian and dictate, say this is it. Yeah. You just became anti-science right there because you know for a while people thought the Earth was flat. For a while people thought you know only Newtonian physics were until they discover a quantum mechanics that com- completely contradicted those things. There's always a, a, a process of asking questions and saying, hey, this is what we think it is, but we're not really sure. What's your opinion? This rooted is rooted in humility, humility, not in arrogance. Inquisition, asking questions, and, uh, having a, a inquisitive mind to say, well, what are your thoughts on this? Are there more data? Are there more things? Are there more discovery? To say, well, this is hardcore, this. To me, that's no longer scientific because once you close off the discussion, you're saying, hey, we, we can't use this tool anymore. And then, then you no longer applying this tool of science when you say this discussion is done. Yeah. That's why when people are silencing oppositional uh, opinions of science, whatever opinion you have, or saying, hey, you know what? We won't even look at this. You're just crazy. That's not even true. To me, that's, you're being unscientific at that point. Right. So for someone to say I am science, like, I don't even know how to make of that. Right. That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, and, and it, it puts science uh, on one side, and then everything else that wants to have a differing opinion on the other side, mm-hmm. and it puts them in conflict. And 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 I think what our listeners need to know is it, it was Christianity and the principles of Christianity and the Christian worldview that gave rise to science. So this this whole idea of faith versus reason or or uh, religion versus um, science being in conflict each other, like they're juxtaposed, you know, like they're diametrically opposed as enemies of one another. Uh, this is a fabrication that is recent. This has not been the way it has been throughout history. Uh, in fact, just the opposite has been true. Uh, it was the fact that Christians believed that we lived in a universe that was God created, and therefore it had meaning. Therefore, it had laws because God was the ultimate lawgiver. In fact, I'm amazed, you know, when you when you look at uh, some of the early scientists before the technology caught up to what they were doing, mm-hmm. they were able just through mathematics to, to predict, um, you know, lunar cycles and where our planets would be at certain yeah, it's times. It's amazing. It's an amazing tool. I, it's unbelievable. And that was just through mathematics. Yeah. Um, and then when the, when the scientific development came along, they were able to confirm that their, that their math was actually accurate. So the point is, um, the reason science flourished in the West and not in the East is because of our worldview. An Eastern worldview did not believe in a world that was predictable, a world that was based on logic, rationality, based on law, 
Uh, it was much more mysterious. Right. Uh, There's no point to establish laws and systems and experimental if you believe everything's random. That's right. Your worldview dictates how you, like why even establish these elaborate experiments if everything is just based on spirit or whatever random. There's no point to establish that. But when you have a worldview that the world's orderly, the probability does matter, that God created orderly world, then you'll take the time to establish processes and systems and scientific experiments. Well, we forget that science uses logic to make sense out of the facts themselves. And yeah. so a question we need to ask and go back a little further is, yeah. where do you base your validity on logic or reasoning? Yeah. I mean, because how do we know that what's going on inside of our brain, which according to evolution is a bunch of, of random, you know, chemical uh, you know, experiences that are happening? Uh, how do we know that that has any correspondence with the external world around us? You don't unless you believe you're created in the image and likeness of God and that God is omniscient, God is knowing, God is wise, God is intelligent, God uses reason, and that he's equipped us to, to engage in this world. In fact, you go all the way back to uh, Genesis chapter 1, the dominion mandate was really a, a command by the Lord to Adam and Eve to take dominion over the planet. In other words, to exercise control over nature. Yeah. There's a bunch of laws that God revealed through the scriptures, and there are a bunch of scientific laws that we get to discover on our own. Right. Uh, so to make the, for this to make sense in a very practical way, at least for me, when I learned, as a young child, I learned about probability. It blew my mind. Like if you flip a coin, in general, the more you flip, it's going to be 50-50. That blew my mind. I asked my dad, I said, "How? why is that? What, what force is causing that 50-50 balance? Right. Right. It seems magical to me. And my dad's explanation to me was, that's because God created an orderly world. Now, I, I just challenge anyone to explain probability 50-50 without some type of orderly uh, being or force. I mean, actually, people do say stuff like the force or something. <laughs> yeah. But to me, that, that almost seems magical. But that's the discovery of science to figure out what these for, how these forces work. And, and my worldview says that because there's an orderly God behind all of this, that ties our world together. In fact, uh, in Colossians, it talks about how Jesus was the Jesus is the force. He is the He's the uniter of all this existence, and that's who Christ is. We sing that you know? wonderful song, "You hold it all together." You hold it all know? together, exactly. And, uh, and so, you know, when, so when we look back historically at the flow of thought, and you and sometimes you look at these folks like Newton and some of the giants. Yeah, these were devout Christians, and I, I want to point out another book that is an amazing book. It's called uh, "The Book That Made Your World." How the Bible Created the Soul of Western Civilization. It's by a man, uh, an Indian man, who is called the uh, C.S. Lewis of India. So he's a great thinker. But in this book, uh, which again, I recommend that you read, he uh, refers to a work by Rodney Stark, who is a, a Christian sociologist, wrote a book called For the Glory of God. And in that book, he mentions a roster of scientific stars. These are 52 of the leading and most important scientists who pioneered the scientific revolution. And when he studied their beliefs, again, going against uh, this, this common myth that somehow science and, and faith are in conflict and that every good scientist is an atheist, he found just the opposite. Out of the 52 major scientific thinkers that are, that, that are responsible for the scientific revolution, 50 of those men uh, were devout Christians. Mm -hmm. Two only two were skeptics. All right, so they weren't even they weren't even atheists or agnostics. They were simply skeptics. Yep. Uh, but the other fifty were deeply devoted Christians, and the reason that they studied the world was because they believed that there were laws God had embedded in nature itself that could be discovered 
uh, and that could be discovered for the glory of God. So when you discover the law, you worship because you realize that law didn't get there without a lawgiver. That law did not just become a law by itself. That law uh, is a law because a greater power, God Almighty, uh, was the one that created that law and put it in the fabric of the universe. And so science was something that was done for the glory of God and with great passion and great zeal and great enthusiasm because you believe that there was something to look for. You know, in other words, there's something to find as you pursued it. But talk about the modern war because uh, Colson gives kind of a little bit of a history of some of the, the thought that led us to where we're at today, you know, to where science has, has greatly outstepped its boundaries and become actually a religion. Well, just like anything, any other... Um uh, counterfeit redemption. Science fills that void nicely. You oh, know, yeah. it's a powerful force. It's a powerful tool. It's a powerful. Uh, it stirs imagination of mankind. You know, I and mean, when you listen to some of these, yep. these, these uh, important figures, uh, Francis Bacon, um, 16th century. It's kind of with the advent of industrial revolutions and science is advancing, and people are like, wow, this is really powerful. Um, you know, he. Uh, he created this, this, is this a fiction, a new Atlantis, or is this? Yeah, it was a fictional book that he wrote. But in that in that work, he conceived this giant laboratory mm -hmm. where the world's problems would be all solved through science and that we could actually, you know, that whole escalator myth, right? Yeah. We're going to keep progressing to higher levels. So the, the main centerpiece of the new Atlantis was a scientific laboratory with, full of, uh, you know, white-coated Dr. Fauci's who are going to save the world of all of his problems. And then yeah. you go. You, then you move to August. Well, but just on, yeah. on French Bacon, real quick. Again, his so he's his utopia. Let's go back to utopianism, yeah. right? Yeah. Is that you know whatever problem has will be solved by a bunch of people using the scientific method. Now that sounds intriguing because we have solved, we have uh, we have created many tools using the scientific method. Yeah. But to solve all the world's problem again on surface, it sounds so good, right? It sounds like well, we solve how to make a man fly on the airplane through this, you know, through the scientific method. That's applied this to every problem we have and see what happens. We'll well, talk and, about and there should be an excitement about scientific breakthrough and yeah. creating solutions Absolutely. to those problems. But when you do that apart from God, that's when you get into great danger. Well, it's when you transcend the boundaries of yeah. words. Again, this is all going back to the idea of boundaries. Yeah. The boundaries that God gives us are good. Okay. And when we try to break those boundaries, we get, we're get going into a lot of trouble. And so this trouble. is when science transcends its boundaries. Yes. Okay. It's a good thing. So let's keep going. Go ahead. Yeah. So the next major theorist was August Comte, the 19th century uh, founder of sociology. And this, his, his theory is very popular today, that societies are evolving and going through different stages. And what he said was the most primitive societies are basically theological. They're, they're rooted in theology and a belief in the supernatural. And then as you mature, then you move into a metaphysical understanding where you have philosophers and rationalism and all this kind of stuff, the, a society based on, on thinkers. And then you advance to the third stage, which he said was a scientific stage uh, that was marked by scientific experimentation. And so even now today, you know, I noticed this, for instance, when, when churches opened up in the midst of COVID and we said, hey, you know, we're just going to believe that Jesus still heals. We're going to believe that we need to be open to love people, care for people, pray for people and be the church. You had this whole tribe that was basically say, even in the church, that almost has adopted this belief that you know well those beliefs are primitive because they're supernatural and they're theological 
we should be you know closing our building and relying on scientific data because the science is telling us to do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I mean, this is the same the same uh, faulty belief system. And you brought out a good point. Really, the opposite is true. Science is very limited in its scope. Then you move into the realm of ideas, and then ultimately you you live in the realm of what you know the revelation. Thus saith the Lord. Yeah. For me, the scientific observation is based on your senses. And, and to be able to see and read a chart and look at the computer data, I mean, anybody can do that. Now, I'm, say, I'm not saying anyone can design those experiments. That's very difficult and takes a lot of rigor. But the observation of those, receiving those information is, is, is very, you know, everyone can do that. A higher level will be the, meta, the metaphysical, philosophical, because now you're thinking deeper things. You're asking deeper questions. You're asking deeper things. And then the highest level to me of information is, revel, is revelation. It's through the Holy Spirit. Let's say it the it's, Lord. It's through, it's through conviction of your heart. It's through a change of heart. And that's what we'll talk about a little bit later, because yeah. the science cannot change someone's heart, which we'll, we'll get well, to. And, and, uh, and the, the great science, scientists of old believe that there were two books that we could read from. Mm. One was the book of Revelation, mm. thus saith the Lord. Mm. The other was the book of nature that God created and, and, and uh, created it you know, for his glory. Yeah. And so you use those two books, nature and revelation. Well, we've thrown out revelation with the scriptures, but it was actually in the Bible uh, that a lot of the foundational ideas for science, when they would read scripture, they go, wait a minute. The Bible says this about reality or about the universe, and then they would go explore that, and they'd find out, wow, that's sure enough, that's true. Yeah. Some of the things that, that the Holy Spirit revealed in the scriptures were centuries ahead of, of scientific uh, development. Um, and so, you know, we, we talk about comp, then we move to uh, probably the biggest one, which is Darwin. You know, Darwin's theory of natural selection, evolution by natural selection, uh, was a game changer because... He basically tried to provide a scientific explanation that didn't require God for, yep. for how we're going to life and species and all that, all that jazz. Yep. But then the next step from that was genetic engineering. And talk a little bit about that, because that's really where much of science is at right now. Well, what, what Darwin does, he did mystify life. Life is no longer a miracle. It's a scientific process. You throw a bunch of... I don't, he, I don't even think he really delved into the origins other scientists did. He kind of talked about the speciation, but he, he put the idea in. Right. But the idea, is, but the, the point is, if life came from a test tube, if you could create life in a test tube, we are no different from anything else. Right. There's nothing sacred about life, an intrinsic sacredness about life, which caused all kinds of social issues, right? That in itself. But out of that comes genetic engineering. Right. Because, again, once you remove the sacredness of life, now we're saying, hey, everything is, uh, can be manipulated, changed, moved. Uh, we're just all, you know, part of the grand scheme of nature uh, manipulating things. Why don't we be in charge and why don't we start manipulation? Yeah, it's kind of that. So the, the little man in the, uh, in the white coat in the, in the uh, lab now becomes a creator because it, it, this, this is where it gets to be really heady and full of pride and arrogance is now we start saying, wait, let's through genetic engineering let's try to create a better human being let's try to create a healthier stronger more moral uh, human being in other words let, let's let's through uh, through simply manipulation of the ge of genetic code let's actually create a new man in our image uh, and likeness yeah and, and that sounds all great and noble but the truth is you make man a commodity because again cows are commodities Dogs are commodities, right? You know, dairy cow and a pig and a turkey, they're commodities. 
Right. If we're all just the same, there's nothing sacred. There's intrinsically valuable, main image and likeness of God, of man, then we're just commodity. Why don't we just modify? We would genetically modify, you know, clone right. sheep and modify right. chickens. And so, you know, it sounds all noble. I want to make a newer man, yeah. <laughs> but inevitably becomes, man becomes another commodity. Your children becomes commodity, newborns and and, and where does that go? And there's a lot of horror films or you know, right. dystopia movies made of that idea, right. you know, when you make man a commodity. Right. You know? And then Colson points out that, you know, so there's all this euphoria over genetic engineering and about what the future looks like. But then you have theorists like uh, Stephen Hawking, the, the famous physicist who was an atheist, uh, who said, you know what, we're, we're not evolving fast enough. You know, we're... Human beings are going to blow up the planet. The problems are too great. Human nature is too wicked. You know, I don't know that he would use the word wicked, but in other words, we got too many problems. We're not evol evolving fast enough. And so, interestingly enough, this is always I always found this amusing. These some of these folks that are uh, are most pessimistic are looking to extraterrestrials yeah. as the solution. So Hawking uh, believed that we needed to search the universe for aliens who were farther advanced than we were and in fact the two guys that created or not created who discovered the uh, well double Fra helix. francis crick particular he won the Nobel prize for discovering the structured dna he actually believed that uh he looked at structured dna he's like this is too complex for natural slow or right. whatever it happened by accident he must so he actually believed it was seeded from aliens so right now there's through all Hollywood, you see the different ideas of this idea that we're seated from other planets. So now it's the pursuit, pursuit of so 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 there's a craving of saying, hey, what we see on the diversity, the the complexity of the world, can't come from just what we from 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 nature itself, and we cannot save ourselves. We need something external. Right. Yeah, that sounds kind of familiar, right? Right. However, their solution, instead of looking for the revelation through through religion, what we call religion, a God that actually holds us accountable for our morals and says, you know what, you belong to me and the world's, you know, it's for my glory. They look for external force such as ET because to me, the reason ET is more convenient is because to them, ET doesn't require more sure. uh, level of accountability. I just find it interesting that our worldview solves all these problems. You know, yeah. we, we have a God who created us, a God who helps define us. Yeah. A God who created an orderly world that we could take dominion, uh, and and a God who explains the, the the crisis of human nature that it's not our genetics that's the problem; it's our hearts that's the problem. And the answer is outside of ourselves. It, it's God sending His Son Jesus, and yet the original ET they they reject all of that, right? They reject all of that, but they end up at the same place. They end up saying, oh, my gosh, our problems are too great. Yeah. Uh, yes, we're, we can save ourselves, but we need help. We need we need somebody out there in the universe. And that's why this it cracks me up. The, the search for extraterrestrial intelligence, SETI, which is a massive uh, satellite array. Yeah. Listening, listening yeah. for any yeah. kind of feedback out there in the universe because we believe that there's got to be extraterrestrials well, out there. To I mean, save they talk us. about Carl Sagan is one of the guys who's like major into this. And he, he wrote a book called Contact, and they made it into the movie. And when I saw the movie, it had Julie Foster and Matthew McConaughey. I really enjoyed the movie. And when I saw the and when I watched this movie, I was a younger kid. I didn't understand all the subtext. I didn't. Right. I didn't know all the politics behind. It. I didn't get all that. Okay, but when I watched the movie, I was like, "Wow, they demonstrate worship and religion and faith like no other." I mean, I challenge you to watch that movie. And and, and like, there was this couple scenes I actually showed to my youth group back when I was in. Uh, 
in, in, in back in Virginia, and I said, hey, here's a picture of worship. Here's a picture of faith. I mean, the, the inner, I don't Secularized know if faith, but faith, but, but the, the longing for somebody to worship, the longing for someone to see something so beautiful. You're like, wow, I have to right. worship them. the longing to go and make a, make a leap of faith to say, Hey, I need, I have to know what is reality like the longing to believe in something, even though it doesn't make sense. Like you yeah, told history. me, these are scientists who long for faith. Why is that? Why is this longing to say, hey, science is not enough? Because you're going to cover right here. Because these scientists, as they dig deep into science, they realize scientism in itself is an empty black hole in terms of yeah. really fulfilling the desires and, and of you, our heart. You shared a word that I think is important to highlight. There's a difference between science and scientism. Scientism is when you make a religion out of science. It's when, you, it's when science becomes your god. It's when you take science out of its proper boundaries. And I, I, I wanted to, to highlight just several of the limitations of science because it helps, it helps put science back, as, as Pastor Anderson said, in the proper boundaries to where it's useful, to where it doesn't become an idol that we worship. Yeah. Um, these are the limits of science. Science has to deal with only observable, measurable phenomena. We know that there are, from a Christian worldview, reality is not limited just to what is observable or what is measurable. God is not observable or measurable, for instance. Uh, yeah. Human thoughts are not observable or measurable. You know, There's a lot of reality that we experience that does right. not fit in what is observable yeah. and measurable. I mean, just look at human nature today. Like, if The observable world is all we have. That's only grasp of reality. Why is there such longing for the unobservable throughout yeah. culture? You know, people call the opium and the masses. I just say it's human nature because deep in the hearts, we know there's something beyond just simply That's what's right. observable. That's right. The materialistic world by itself does not satisfy who we are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, secondly, science can describe but not explain. So again, science gives you data, but it takes a scientist <laughs> to explain the data, right. and that scientist is going to be operating out of his or her worldview. And so, like, again, you take a scientist who does not believe in God, does not believe in the supernatural, does not does not believe in a Christian worldview. They're going to look at the same data. And because of their bias, their worldview bias, they're going to have a limited understanding of what the of how to interpret that data. Whereas a Christian who has a wider uh, uh a bigger toolkit, let's just yeah. say, as it relates to epistemology or yeah. how we know what we know. Right. Uh, we have a broader explanatory basis than someone who's just uh, a, a scientist who's a naturalist. Well, yeah, I mean, so I mean, I'll tell you specifically what does that look like. So I, and when I was in grad school, my professor would help me because he reviews, he does peer review for other research. So he'll ask me, invite me to go and give my opinion. So give me a paper, read it, give me yeah. a peer review, okay? So basically, so I read a lot of research paper. That's not my other people's research. And basically, the the only part that's really scientific is the data. Yeah. They, they but even the data could be biased because you can structure data in a certain sure. way. But say the data is unbiased. Yeah. Okay. You read the data. They present the data. That's a result section. And afterward, there's a conclusion section. Right. The conclusion section is basically completely subjective. Is the is the scientist saying I we I look at the data and based on this data I theorize. In other words. I'm interpreting, I'm guessing it's because of this, this, right. this, this, this. this. That's right. not, that's just a, another person's opinion. The data itself, first of all, is subjective because you got to repeat it a bunch of times. Uh, it could be different condition. You can talk about different control, all these different things. Yep. So there's subjectivity on the data and there's great subjectivity on the conclusion part. In fact, which causes you to be humble and which is why it leads to the next point. You, you have to be able to re repeat the results. Yep. 
and that keeps you humble again because if, if you get a certain set of data that can't be repeated, then it's probably not a good experiment, right? Science, it's not, it's not good science. Right. It's got, if something's established as a law, for instance, it should be able to be repeatable over and over. Well, but even that, okay, so when they say it's a scientific law, say gravity, you know, well, how does that get established? That's basically saying the data gets repeated a bunch of times. And many scientists, many, many scientists through the conclusion part agree that that's the, this is the reason why. Right. But is that truly reality? Not necessarily, because later new data may come, sure. new interpretation science, comes. Science always deals with uh, probabilities, mm -hmm. you know, plus or minus and all yep. that kind of stuff, right? Yep. So even at the end of the day, science never makes a definitive statement. It says, this is what we've seen This repeated. is probably right. what happened. But I just want to say scientific law. I mean, we used to, people used to say uh, the, the sun revolved around the earth. That was a scientific law. I mean, these are things that, 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 that has been disproven after it becomes a law. So nothing. So we, there's such humility that we need to be going to interpret science. Right. Yeah. All right, so again, uh, no experiment can be completely controlled. Observations, as you just pointed out, could be faulty. Mm -hmm. A man's belief affects his judgment. Mm -hmm. So if you don't believe in a supernatural explanation, you'll never find one and you'll never look for yeah. one. Uh, science must deal with repeatable results, as we mentioned. And this last one is really huge, and you touched on it. Science cannot deal with values or morals. One of my college professors used to say this. You can never get an ought from an is. In other words, science tells you what is. Here's the data. But science can never tell you what you ought to do. That's a moral judgment. That's beyond the scope of science. And that's where today, maybe we can close here, but t today we're finding all kinds of conflicts with genuine science with what ought to be done with that science. For instance, there's more proof now uh, in uh the sanctity of human life and that uh, a, a baby is a human being at conception and now we have uh, uh, all the uh, uh, so, sonograph or what's the word? Yeah, uh, yeah um, you know, sonograph. Uh, yeah. Anyway, we've got 3D, 4D where you yeah. can literally see the expression of that baby's face in the womb. I mean, there's more, there's more scientific and technological data now to show that that uh, baby uh, is just that. It's not, it, it's not a fetus, it is a human being, and it should be protected. And yet we're still arguing about you know, science as it relates well, to the that's a, life. that's a great example. So the, the data, what does the data show? The data shows that, yeah, the baby's fully formed as this, this phase. Can feel pain, she can feel pain, sucks the thumb. But then interpretation, is where it goes to different people's worldview, but which is fine. But don't call your conclusion science. Right at that, it's point, your interpretation of your worldview. So for your worldview says, you know what, human life is blah 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 blah. Therefore, we're bored. That's not science. That's worldview. Now, my my interpretation is, hey, this the data shows me that they're they are alive and they're they're independent life at this stage. So again, when people say this is science, like I'm like that's. It doesn't make any sense. It's your interpretation of right. the data. Or we talk about forced mandates. It's one thing to say this vaccine is a good vaccine. Okay, well, that's an interpretation of the vaccine the data, as well. Yeah. Uh, there are others that would argue, well, I'm not so sure about that. And then when you get into science is telling us that we all need to be vaccinated, now you've just, just jumped over. That's not science telling you that. That's that's yeah. somebody's worldview saying that, that, right? Yeah. And right. so, you know, this whole idea, and maybe we just conclude here, that somehow uh, a little man in a white jacket uh, in some lab has the authority to tell 
uh, our nation and all of the citizens of this great nation what we should and shouldn't be doing and then base that authority on science uh, is is very, very scary and troubling. Well, uh, I mean, just an example. Okay, so what is... What does science tell us? Is it better to sacrifice one life for many? Or or is it okay to spare one life for the sake of many? I mean, these are the these are the questions that science cannot answer, right? right? Statistically, you can say, well, if you sacrifice one person, you can say you can say to statistically, you can give us a data, but science is not gonna give you the alt, right? Right. And and that's the question that's been answered all the time. Like, what's better? Uh Met corn to the, the the science of vaccination, personal freedom, personal liberty. Sure, these are t- difficult, difficult constitutional identity. So we questions. get back to our, our point about primitive versus uh, you know mature civilizations. Yeah. Actually, we just turned everything on its head because we're talking about the the deepest questions in life yeah. are, are fundamentally religious and philosophical. Philosophical, they're yeah. not scientific. Can't answer that for me. And uh, yeah, and, and so that's why we need to be rooted in, in the question of ethics. Where where does our authority come from? <laughs> and for us as Christians, thus saith the Lord is the highest level of authority that we can appeal. To. And I will even argue that historically, uh, in the more recent history, people have used the name of science, the science, to commit things uh, horrible things because that's scientific. We, we can go back to World War II and the Nazis and uh, and, and some of the horrific I mean, people have used the name of religion to do horrible. I mean, I'm, not, I'm right. just saying, but science is right up there. You oh, know, absolutely. it's just another interpretation. This is my interpretation, but I'm going to call it science. Absolutely. So, so anyway, these are counterfeit counterfeit redeemers and uh, as we're approaching the holidays here with christmas just around the corner i think it's great to remember that god sent his son into this world to redeem a people for himself any other counterfeit uh, besides uh, jesus christ as lord is is just that it is a counterfeit it's not going to lead to to freedom and liberty it's going to lead to bondage and death and so thank god for sending jesus and thank god for uh, his son and thank god for all that jesus accomplished through his sinless life and his death and his resurrection for us jesus is the redeemer jesus is the one that makes all of this make sense and so i encourage you um, continue to press into him and continue to press into to developing your christian worldview because I really believe in the superiority of our worldview because it's based on truth and it fits reality better than any other worldview. And so as you're processing through all the science arguments today, I hope this podcast has been helpful. I hope it gives you some things to, to uh, some tools uh, in your toolkit that you can use to share the gospel winsomely to your neighbors who might be under this delusion that somehow science uh, is at odds with Jesus and with the gospel. So, hey, have a great week. We look forward to getting back to, with you next week. Don't forget uh, Friday night to join us here at the church for an amazing Christmas celebration. And come on out on Sunday. We meet at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.45 here at Living Stones. Uh, and the facility will look like a winter wonderland as we get ready to uh, celebrate Christmas. All right, so look forward to seeing you hopefully the, this week. God bless you guys.